This morning, I am really excited because we're continuing a series uh, that we began a couple weeks ago called Unbelievable, uh, the story of the early church. And today on Mother's Day, I'm excited because we are going to talk about community. And I honestly think moms do a great job when I think of community, because when I think of community in a Christ-centered way, we're going to talk a lot about some different aspects of it. Uh, it's, it's something about getting people around a table. And moms love to do that, right? They love to gather their kids all around the table. They love to feed them. My mom has always been notorious about that. She would be the type of person that uh, if a friend dropped me off uh, after, like, practice and he had a five-minute drive home, she would, like, try to send him, like, three sandwiches, a dozen cookies, a gallon of milk, just in case he got hungry on that five-minute stretch home. And there's something about moms. They love to do that, don't they? My wife, it's fun uh, to see her interact with our boys. And even at this young age where, other than through pictures, they'll never remember anything. Uh, she wants to have every birthday party, every certain thing to be perfect down to the detail, where it's one of those funny things where I know that my son is just excited that he's having a birthday party. He doesn't really care. But there's something extravagant and selfless about mothers, which is really cool. Well, this morning, uh, as we approach this idea of community, I think it's an important thing to talk about because the reality is we live in a culture, maybe more so than any other time in human history, that is getting increasingly more connected and more disconnected at the same time. Never in human history have we had these. Never in human history have we had the opportunity that you could literally communicate instantaneously with people in three or four different ways. I remember the very first time that I got a text message. I remember thinking, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Why don't we just talk in front of people? And today it's crazy how often I will send text message to people in the same house as me. Right? Don't act like you don't do it too. There are times where when I am lost and I need help with something, I will FaceTime my wife and she will tell me literally it is right there in the fridge. How many of you are honest that you do these things too? Community is this beautiful thing that is slowly becoming more and more rare. You see, slowly over time, technology in itself is not bad, but technology is making it easier and easier for us to be disconnected. It's crazy if you look all around the world. I'm kind of a nerd, and I like to study culture and see what's going on around the world and kind of the trends and oftentimes where you see things happening in other parts of the world, you kind of know it's only going to be a few years before it begins to kind of trickle over here. And one kind of unique thing that's beginning to happen in parts of Europe and and even Asia that is slowly trickling its way over here is something that's called loner culture. And if you haven't heard of this and you're thinking like, oh, Aaron, you're just overreacting, it's a real deal. And what's beginning to happen is more and more people are beginning to disengage from community, from family, from all sorts of things. Because let's be honest, relationships are messy, aren't they? Relationships have both the beautiful power to heal, to uh, bring so much joy to our life, but it also can bring intense pain. It can bring disappointment. And also, if we're really honest... Because of different technological advances, because of all the way that the world has changed in the last few decades, it's easier and easier to flake out on things. And I know a lot of times people want to make fun of just younger generations, but let's be real, y'all. Every single one of us 
I believe over time, have gotten to a place where it's easier and easier to back out of commitments, out of relationships, out of obligations, out of sometimes just good things in our life. It's so easy to desire to be in community, but when it comes to the time to actually engage in it, to easily say, Netflix sounds so much easier. I would much rather just sit at home. Can I be real with you guys about something? This is a difficult message for me because I, God has been working in and through me on some stuff, and he's really called to light, and maybe some of you could resonate with this, that this statement that's going to be up on the screen reflects some of my own heart, is that I want community without commitment. I want all of the perks of it without any of the work. There's so much of me that's like, I want great community where I have like these friends where I can just bear my soul and we can just do life together. But in a lot of ways, I want it in the same way that I just want a relationship. I, I want it kind of like a, 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 a leech. And what I mean by that is I want all of the benefits with none of the work. I want to have those without having to show up when it's difficult. I want to have that experience without really having to get super real. Because sometimes getting super real hurts. It's painful. Kind of like the shingles, which just because we're among friends, I got shingles this week. What a weird thing, right? I am 85 years old. So if anyone else is a, a shingle survivor, you my people, we're community. Uh, true story, I feel like I've kind of made it because on Instagram, uh, shingles awareness uh, started following me. Um, so feeling pretty good about things. But in all seriousness, can any of you resonate with that? It's like this thing where it's so much like, I want this, I just wish I could have the easy button that I could press for it to all happen. I wish I could have it happen without the possibility of being hurt, of being let down, of being disappointed. I wish that I could have it where I could control the people and they would do exactly what I want. Maybe I'm just a weirdo who has a sick, twisted mind. But that's just me. Community, I believe, is a beautiful thing that has the opportunity and the power to help heal the world when it's community centered around Christ. But I believe that if we continue in the way that we're allowing culture to shape us rather than Christ to shape us, we're going to become more and more little islands all to ourselves. And we're going to be dealing with tons of issues that come from isolation, from loneliness. We're going to allow ourselves to look at things like social media, and we're going to see a facade of community. And we're going to be dealing with the FOMO, the fear of missing out. We always see something beautiful, great that's happening, and we wonder what it would be like. Yet there's an anxiousness inside of us that is afraid to engage it. This morning, here's what I'd like to do, if that's okay. I want to journey into some of the book of Acts. And we're going to talk about the early church. And we're going to talk about how at the very conception of this community of followers of Jesus, how they got so much of it right, but how so much of it went wrong quickly. And I want to talk about what we can learn from the early church, both the good and the bad. And what it could look like for us to engage in community this morning. But I want to, again, at the beginning of this message, holy claim, I have had an enormous sense of conviction from the Lord 
that, man, I need to do better at engaging in community myself. And so by no means am I coming from this from a place of expert or coming from a place of, man, I'm doing this well. I'm coming from this as a place of saying, man, I've really screwed up. And together I want to journey with you as a community in trying to seek more of what Christ had for his kingdom. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to Acts chapter 2. And if not, it's going to be up on the screen. And this story, this kind of part of scripture I'm going to read is, is more of kind of the famous sort of, yes, acts and community. This would make sense. We're going to read a story in a little bit that usually people are like, don't talk about that. That's a scary story. And it's going to be a lot of fun to see if anyone else squirms with me. Uh, but in Acts chapter 2, this is what has happened. Uh, again, the day of Pentecost. We talked about this uh, a few weeks back. You have all of these Jewish people who are from all sorts of different countries. They come together. The Holy Spirit comes upon the place and the apostles, the original 12 uh, minus Judas because well you might know that story uh, they begin to be able to speak in all sorts of languages in this this church this ecclesia which is this Greek word for church and really what this means it's not a building it's not an organization it's not an institution it is quite literally the gathering of a people and so this gathering of the people the church begins and primarily it begins with people who were of the Jewish faith. They already believed in the one true God, and they came from a diverse group of people who lived all across the world, but who, car- who carried all of the same um, cultural, religious background in many ways. And so this is kind of the story of how they first began. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to everyone who had need. And every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Like, I want that. Like, a lot of times, let's be real. If we've read through the book of Acts before, we read Acts and we say, why can't that be today? And may I say that I think as a perpetual optimist and a realist, I think it both can, but it can't. I think there are aspects of how it still could be today, and there are other aspects that are going to be difficult and that aren't necessarily called to be exactly like that moment. And here's the reason why I think this is such a sweet, beautiful moment. This is at the beginning of an amazing moment. Now, I would like to call this sort of uh, mission trip syndrome or summer camp syndrome or uh, youth convention syndrome. And I'm not trying to like downplay this, but how many of y'all have ever been on a mission trip or you have been on a, uh, a, a, a summer camp, some sort of Christian experience? You come away from it in this beautiful moment where you're just like, this is the best thing ever, right? Because you have this moment where everybody is all of the same heart and mind. When I worked at at a summer camp, one of the best things about it was I thought, why can't this be like my normal life? And I still think there are aspects that could. But why it in some ways couldn't be when I would go back is that when I was at summer camp, everyone was having an experience with Christ. Our environments were created so that way that would happen. We were every morning, everything that we were doing was wholly focused on 
this mission. And so, of course, we were all like, this is the greatest thing. And, of course, when eventually life went back to a normal place, it became harder and harder. And the reason why is because, if I'm honest, I stopped gathering with the people in the same way daily. I stopped meeting with people who were of the same heart and the same mind. And the reason why the fire died out in some ways is that we stopped adding stuff to it. All of us have made a fire before, right? And if you stop adding things to it, it's going to stop, isn't it? And so there's this aspect of of the early church has this beautiful moment, but eventually it's going to run out. But it, it continues on with some beautiful things too in Acts chapter 4. It says, all the believers were... Of one heart and one mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful at work in them. And all that were there, had there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned their land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sale, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to everyone who had need. Now, let me go ahead and throw out there. If anyone wants to sell property and bring all the money here, we will gladly take that in the name of Jesus. But it's this beautiful thing. Here's what's happening. This beautiful thing that I believe still could happen. I don't think anyone necessarily is called that they need to sell all their possessions or all their house. But what was happening is you had all of these people who came in into a pilgrimage. You had these people who were not expecting to stay in Jerusalem. And yet, because the Spirit of God was doing something amazing, they stayed. And so what was happening is you had these people who began to see that, okay, over time people are still here. And so you had some people who were so all in in this idea of this beautiful community. And it was such a beautiful, holy moment that people were selling everything. They were all in. And the truth is, I don't think that has to be different than today. I still think that if we were to be gathering together, breaking bread, following the teachings of Jesus Christ... If, they, if we were praying together, if we were all in one mind and one spirit seeking the spirit of God together, I still believe stuff like this can happen today. But the issue becomes is that so many of us, very much myself included, we've allowed culture to shape who we are. We very easily say to things like this, this could never happen for this reason, that reason, and the other reason. We begin with our own, whether it be uh, political, whether it be socioeconomic, whether it be uh, psychological, we begin with a list of why something like this could never happen again. We quench the spirit before we even allow the opportunity for the spirit to catch fire. But we also recognize as we read this, this is a unique moment in the life of the church where things are going amazing and it's not as if it couldn't happen forever, but there's this deep holiness of what is happening. Now, let's be real, though. The early church did not have it all together. This is literally, we're talking only, uh, you know, a little bit of time post-Jesus. This is, this is right after Pentecost. This is early moments. And the reality is, humanity, we ruin things. Can we be real? Like, we can't have nice things sometimes because we ruin things. I spill things all the time. I can't have nice things. Okay? Maybe you can uh, relate to that. But why I say sometimes we idolize the early church is because we read these small portions like this and just say, yes, the early church, they had it all down. 
Yet, if we read the entirety of the New Testament and we read some of Paul's letter, we find, oh, wait a second. No, there's also things like slavery that are still going on. So are we saying that we want to get back to the early church and be in a place where slavery is cool? I don't think so. What about uh, temple worship still going on? I mean, I'm kind of glad that I don't really have to have any conversations with you about like, hey, it's cool that you come here, but please don't also go over to all of these other gods' temples uh, and sacrifice to them. That's kind of weird and doesn't work. Or what about the fact that, uh, well, maybe we still deal with racial divide. But even in Acts itself, you'll, you'll read a story uh, called the Jerusalem Council. And it really is this moment where the early church had to wrestle with this idea that Christ really did come for all. And that because of that, those who did not grow up of Jewish descent, they don't have to come under the same exact rules and regulations that were put upon the Jewish people. There was racial tension, prejudice. They had some weird practices that involved uh, 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 sexuality. Y'all, I am glad that even though there may be some weird things that go on up in here, uh, not in here, but in our lives, I am quite glad that I don't have to talk with any of you out like, hey guys, I'm really glad you're following Jesus now, but please don't go uh, and have sex with uh, temple prostitutes with uh, these other gods. I'm pretty okay that that doesn't happen anymore, I think. If you're dealing with that, you can have a conversation later, but uh, maybe private. There's greed that's happening, and there's also real persecution. The early church, while it was beautiful, and there's something so holy and so beautiful and something that we can learn from it in a beautiful way, it had its flaws similar to us. And so again, Scripture has been created as a way for us to inform us, to correct us, to encourage us, but also one of the best things about Scripture, in my opinion, is that when we read it, we can learn the good, the bad, and the ugly from the lessons of the the people that God used. Now, let's read a story. Let me tell you a story that's a really odd one. And I'll be honest with you, the the very first time, the third time, the fifth time, the tenth time I read this story, it kind of throws you off where you're like, I don't know what to do with this. And uh, I'll just be honest with you guys. I've, I felt deeply convicted uh, over the last year by the Lord to say, when we come to places in Scripture that are weird, that are odd, and that we don't know what to do with them, what we don't do is we don't sidestep them. We don't kind of be like, oh, let's hide this under the thing. Let's, when, when people are new to the faith, let's just sort of like say, like, oh, no, well, no, that's not really this. Just kind of skip over that one. Put a, put a, uh, you know, a post-it note over that in your Bible so you don't have to read it. Let's take it on and let's try to understand what it really means. Okay? Is that cool? So uh, just be ready for this one because it's kind of different. So this is a story that happens right after this moment where they're talking about everyone selling their possessions and it's all so great. And this is where humanity comes and starts to destroy it. So there's this man named Ananias and he had his wife named uh, Sapphira. And here's what ends up happening. They are part of this early Christian community. It's in Acts chapter uh, 5 verses 1 through 11 if you want to read it for yourself. And what happens is they commit to selling their property and they commit that they're going to bring the whole thing and lay it before the apostles' feet and it's going to be used for the community. What a great, awesome thing. Go you guys. But here's what ends up happening. They lie about it. They, for whatever reason, have some sort of doubt. And so they give just a portion of it. And so, and then when they're confronted, what happens first is Ananias comes first and when he's confronted about it, he says... He has an opportunity to confess, yeah, sorry, here's a little bit of this, or I was too afraid. And what happens is he, he lies about it, and immediately he drops dead and dies. Then 
His wife comes in separately. She doesn't know her husband's dead yet. She comes in and they, they, they question her in the same way in this community. And she again too lies. And immediately too, she also has this moment where she drops dead right there too as well. What a beautiful, um, you know, God is love type of story. Am I right? How many of you have ever read this story and you're like, what do we even do with this? So let's talk a little bit about this story and what this means. As I've gotten the chance to, to study Acts, one of my favorite things uh, has been undigging just this idea that there's so much of it that is symbolic, that there's so much of it that represents and helps point us to this, this God who comes from the Old Testament and, and he never changes. You know, sometimes some of us want to say, like, the God of the Old Testament and Jesus are different. And they're not. They're the same. And that some of us want to say, Jesus changed everything and just did all that. And that's true, but he didn't really, like, say, like, hey, all of this is bad. Throw it out. This isn't good. Oftentimes what he did and what the early church did was had these beautiful ways of throwing back and helping affirm to us who God is. And the fact that God is the same God then, now, and forever. And so here is what we learn from this kind of odd story, even though it's harsh and it's weird, because if we're honest, we approach God from a very scientific, Western, enlightened mind, right? We start in a way that says, all right, I am smart, I am enlightened, I'm educated, let me figure out if I think God fits in my box, if I think that everything that God does, everything God says is justified and good. And if it fits in my box, then I can believe it. If not, well, sorry, God of all the universe, even if you're real, I think I'm a little bit smarter than you, okay? At least that's how I've started to do sometimes. So here's what happens. In this moment, this is a throwback in which God is showing, he's doing an example, right or wrong, whether we like it or not, of showing that the church is the new temple in which the spirit resides inside of us and it's holy and it has power. Now, what do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, there are multiple stories of where God has talked about how his presence on earth was so powerful. He talked about how sometimes people couldn't even look at it, that if they looked at it, if they went into the presence, if they accidentally almost dropped something, that there are stories of people dropping dead. Now, again, I'm not here to try to argue how that's weird and hard to swallow because we're like, whoa, that doesn't seem cool. But all of these stories, very rare as they are, In fact, this is the only one in the New Testament and beyond that we know of. I've never really heard of anyone today this happening either uh, with such a swift judgment. But it's this moment very early on for God to say, listen, the temple may have been destroyed. I may have changed everything, but you now have the spirit of God living inside of you. You yourself are a temple and that you as the gathered body of people are this new temple. And let me just tell you, I am still powerful. I am still God. I am not something to be messed with or reckoned with. I am full of love. I am full of grace. I am full of truth. But I also want you to know that I am not a weak God. And so in this moment, we see that this community is not something to be messed with. This community is not an institution. It's not some sort of powerful thing that's going to wield for selfish gain. But there's this reality that he is God and we are not. And so in this moment, as difficult, as weird as it is to somewhat swallow, we recognize and we learn 
that this is this moment that basically God says, listen, the church is for real. This isn't some sort of ragtag thing that someone's making up. This isn't some sort of of moment where I'm going to allow human influence to come in and take over and just sort of make a mockery of me. This is God saying, no, 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 no. I'm a God who is powerful. And I don't know about you all, but I don't want to follow a weak God. I don't want to believe in a God who, who allows injustice. Now, let me let me real quick pause and say something. Uh, again, this is incredibly rare. This is a moment in history that I think was used as an example. So by no means take this as a license to say when, when there's a, a random death, when there is a natural disaster that we can say, aha, the judgment of God, that's what happened there. Let me just say any pastor, leader, person that you ever hear say something about a natural disaster, a, a, a sudden death about a person whom they disagreed with, saying this is the wrath of God, uh, listen, shame on them. I don't believe that God works in those sort of ways continually. I don't think he, he just constantly is like, yep, you're wrong, zoop, you're wrong, zoop, we're gone. And I'm really glad because I don't know about y'all, but I would have been zapped a long time ago. I could get zapped five times a day. Maybe that's why I have shingles. Just kidding. That's bad theology. It's just science, okay? Whatever. But again, the church is this new temple. And it's this beautiful community. Now, here's a quick lesson that I think we also learned from this. We touched on it last week. But there's this reality that within the community of Christ, within this church, there's going to have to be deep accountability to continue to protect this community from things. John Acuff is a, a writer leader who I really like, and, and he has something that I think is, that he says that's really uh, thought-provoking and great. And he, he, he says this, he says, leaders who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. And I think you could sub out just people in general, that people who can't be questioned end up doing questionable things. You know, I wonder if sometimes... People like Anna and Sapphira, if, if, if people live in communities where they're never called on their junk, they're going to continue to do bad stuff, right? All of us, I think, if we're honest, we hate accountability, but we also know that it's important. We know that it can super help us. Now, all of this, the early church, I believe the most important thing it teaches us, and I'm going to share kind of three things that I think community can do for us if we'd be willing to dive into it, is this. I think that the early church, with its good, its bad, its ugly, its weird, I think what it teaches us is that presence is more important than perfection. I think there's this reality that for far too long when we talk about holiness, we get into this mindset of holier than thou. And the reality is that holiness is just this idea of being set apart. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about this idea of an unbelievable holiness and what it looks like to live a life set apart. But I think the early church, again, it's full of misfits. It's full of people who don't get it right every time. And that's the really good news. Again, Paul probably would write his letters differently if every church was doing great. But the reality is most of his letters are saying, stop doing this. You're missing the mark on this one. Lots of acts has moments in which people are not doing things right. And there's correction. But again, it's this whole idea that presence is more important than perfection. And today, my friends, let me tell you that just showing up sometimes in being present, present in, 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 in community with God and presence in community with others is hugely important. It's a great first step. 
God isn't asking us to immediately be this perfect church that is full of people who have it all together. No, 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 no. The church was created to be a group of imperfect people who are serving a perfect Savior, who the more we journey together, the more we work towards being like Him, the more we're made in His likeness. And so let me just share three quick things that I think community is good for. And there's a larger number of lists. There's so many other things we could talk about. But here's the first thing that I think community has the opportunity to do for us. I think it can refine us. And what I mean by refine us is community's hard. And one of the great things about community is some of the difficulties that come with us. It is living in community that sometimes we find out some of the things about ourselves that need to change. And that's hard. Right? But can we be honest? I would much rather uh, ride and die with people who let me know, hey, Aaron, by the way, your fly's unzipped. Hey, there's a booger hanging out your nose. Hey, you're being really annoying. Or hey, what you said was offensive. I'd much rather ride with people who would come straight to me and have a hard conversation with me than people who kind of are there but aren't really there. And community has this beautiful opportunity to refine us. Because the reality is every single one of us are a work in progress. Every single one of us are a sculpture that could have some edges rounded. And the truth is, we can't do that on our own. The truth is, we have not been created to have just a personal vertical relationship with God that never goes out horizontally. We have not been created in a place where we can just say, God, you're my accountability partner. Because the reality is God has given us the gift of community, the gift of church to be people who come alongside us and help make us better. You know, there are people who walk alongside of us who we see and say, man, I love the way that they parent. I want to be more like that. Man, their prayer life is great. I want to be more like that. But there's this reality that there is some refining in our life that cannot happen if we do not engage in community. Second thing, it anchors us. Now, hear me on this. Our one true anchor is Jesus Christ. And now another anchor is Scripture, which anchors us to this idea of how we know who Jesus is, how we see his teachings, and again, anchors us to this idea of an orthodoxy. Without Scripture, it can become, well, I heard the Spirit say this, or or, I think Jesus would do that. And the reason why Scripture is so important is Scripture gives us sort of this north star that even though there's different interpretations of Scripture, I'll give you on that, there still is this reality that we can't disconnect the idea of Jesus and his authority. We can't disconnect the idea of God being a creator. We can't disconnect so many different things. And so that's so important. But community is another anchor for us. Community gives us the opportunity to have those people who, when we want to quit, they say, no, 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 I'm with you in this moment. That when we want to check out, they they are the ones who show up and show out for us. Community has this opportunity to keep us grounded. It has the opportunity that when we come across Scripture, when we come across moments in our life, when we see things in the news and we just say, I don't know if I can believe in a God who does this, community has the opportunity to process with us and walk through us in the hard times and in the joyous times. You see, this community was meant to be like a family. To be a group of people who are there in the good, the bad, and the ugly. So the truth is, many of us need to be anchored into a community. Because without a community, without people who are with us and for us, we will easily wander away. We will get hopeless. We will get bored. And we will stumble upon things we don't need to stumble on. 
And lastly, here's the third thing. It encourages us. Truth is, every single one of us need encouragement every single day. Every single day, we are going to take a few hits. Every single day, we are going to mess up. And that's okay. But if we don't have people speaking into our life, and and, and I'm not talking about people who speak in our life with like cheesy sayings that are very culturally relevant, because the reality is a lot of our cultural kind of moment right now is things that are all about the individual saying you are great just to who you are you are great just where you are seek whatever you want that's so great we don't need people to cheerlead us to say that we're the greatest in the world but we do need people to say hey man you royally messed that one up but i still love you i still see so much value in you and it's not in the things that you do or the things that you don't do but your value is found in your identity in Jesus Christ as a child of God and we need people who are going to encourage us to say you know what your past doesn't dictate your future that the way that life has gone this way I don't think it has to mean it's going to go that way people who will encourage us not to become who we want to become but to become who Christ sees us we need that every single one of us my friends I love this verse from Hebrews chapter 10. And it just says this. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as the day of the Lord is approaching. Friends, don't disconnect. Don't disengage. Find community. Listen, right now, if you are, are like, listen, I need more community. Let us know. On the connection card, let us know. We would love to, 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 to plug you in with a life group. We'd love to connect you with uh, a Bible study. But also, sometimes we just need to reach out. We need to ask people. I was so, so grateful. My friend Tim this week reached out to me, and him and I got coffee, and it was great to connect. And we talked about how some parts of life is difficult, how fatherhood is difficult, how, how, how it just changes you. But the reality is, if we're not intentional... It's never going to happen. And we can't just sit back and say, man, I wish I was in community. We have to take a first step to just say, I want to experience it. And we need to come with our arms open saying, you know, it's okay even if it might hurt a little bit. Because it's going to be worth it and it's going to be so good. My friends, let me just leave you with this last little bit. Christianity disconnected from community. It's just a pick-me-up religion. There are so many people who are like, I want Jesus without the church. The church has done so many bad things. And I'm not discounting the fact that we got some junk. Our history is not always great. But the reality is, oftentimes we're talking about institutions. We're talking about people who did not always live up to the name of Jesus Christ's followers. But the reality is, is that if we place ourselves as the God. And Jesus is just this pick-me-up, great person who says great things who make us feel great. That's just a dead-end religion, just like every single other one. Let me just say this to you. You cannot divorce Jesus from his bride, the church. Because let me just tell y'all, if some of y'all came to me and like, Aaron, I love you. You are so cool. Like, you're the man. We're like besties. Like, let's go do all these things. But by the way, I really hate your wife. Um, 
you know, she said some offensive things. And, you know, over time, I feel like she was on the wrong side of some issues. So I like, I want to hang out with you, but you like, can you just like, can we hang out and you just not invite her? Do you really think I'm going to be like, yes, let's do that. No, because when we got married, we made a vow where we're no longer two different people, but we have become one. And when Jesus Christ talks about the idea that the church, the gathering people of him, the spirit of God living inside of that gathered people, he said, no, 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 that is my bride. We have become one. You cannot divorce one from the other. So let me say this to you, my friends. Don't think that you can divorce community from being a Christian. Don't think that you can experience Christ in everything he has for you disconnected from people. I see you and I hear the pain that maybe you've experienced, but I believe that God wants to write a new story for you, a beautiful story. Let me leave you with two questions to think through, and then I'm going to pray and we're going to leave. My two questions are this. What is internally or externally keeping you from community? It could be past hurt. It could be easy to just say my schedule my season of life. And let me just say, all of those excuses, while there may be pieces of validity, are not good long-term excuses. Every single one of us can make margin in our life. And if you're having trouble with that, find us and we'd love to be able to help you work through that. But I think every single one of us needs to process through how in the next week, in the next month, in the next six months, the next year, how am I going to engage in the community? In more than just a Sunday morning gathering, even though that's so important, but how am I going to begin to engage into more life-on-life, authentic relationships of community so I can get back to more of what the first part of Acts community looked like? Would you guys stand? And I'm going to pray, and then afterwards we're going to be dismissed. And don't forget to go get your flowers, ladies. Every single lady gets a flower, a little bouquet. And don't forget to get your little photo op. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for the church. And God, just the gift of the church. How, how God, it is your bride. And God, how it does amazing things to enrich our life. God, it helps refine us. It anchors us. It encourages us. God, it, it, it helps uh, get some of the edges off us. God, it, it's, it gives us the opportunity to have people who are there to celebrate in the, the, the highest moments of our life. And God, who can cry with us and be with us in the lowest moments. God, who are there in the moments where things are just kind of blah and whatever. That we have people who are walking through life with us. God, I pray that every single one of us would find new ways to engage community. God, I pray that as as we as a church begin to uh, try to put out more opportunities, more easy on-ramps for community, God, I pray that we would be brave and courageous to move past maybe hurt, anxiety, schedule, busyness, tiredness, and that, God, we would engage community in a beautiful way. God, I pray that this morning, God, maybe if anyone this morning came in, and God, maybe this is the first time that they heard about the good news of your son, Jesus. God, I pray that maybe this morning would be their moment, even right now, to accept you as as their Savior. God, to confess with their mouth their sins, to seek your forgiveness, which you are always good to give. And God, to begin to start being a disciple, a follower of you. God, if they did, would they know that there is a party going on in heaven right now for them? 
God, I pray that as we leave this place, God, we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. That God, as we walk out into this world, God, that our neighbors, you would give us opportunities to love them. And that they would see something different inside of us. God, most of all, would they see love pouring out of us. God, as we leave this place, would we walk out with our identity found as sons and as daughters, as children of God. And God, would be reminded that you are with us to the very end of the day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.